BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3. Wuthering Heights, I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire. And it is sultry, a sultry November day in Savannah. I guess it's sultry all over the nation right now, but here in Savannah, where it is 80 degrees and humid, I am less than pleased as I anxiously await the drop in temps so I can bust out my fall wardrobe. You know, all the uh, cardigans and the uh, the houndstooth checks and uh, the moon boots and all the rest. Very disorienting when it is 80 degrees in November. Climate change does not seem to care how cute I look in a lightweight sweater, and uh, that is one reason to oppose this changing climate, and so I oppose it. It is also election night eve 2022. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know that anybody quite does. I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I'm just istic. The fact of the matter is, my friend Louis Peitzman on Twitter wrote this, um, or I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, paraphrase what he said, something like, you know, Americans are flirting with a soft fascism, and whether it's this election or the next, or perhaps the one after, we are likely to get it. And the question really is just, what happens after that, you know? What happens? We sort of dabbled with it in very gentle ways for the last during the last administration. And when I say gentle, I'm only using that on the sliding scale of fascism, not on the sliding scale of democracy. And, you know, I think fascist is a word that gets tossed around a lot, um, maybe not entirely 
fairly, but I don't know what else to call it. You, yeah, you want to call it Christian nationalism, all right? I mean, maybe that's where we're heading, but it's, you know, that's a distinction without a difference as far as I'm concerned. But uh, it's ugly out there, and it seems to me it will only get uglier, whether it's tomorrow or in two years or in four. I don't know. Um, but we are headed, I believe, for dark times. And it's just a question of how that will play out. I have no idea, you know, because light certainly follows the dark. Darkness follows the light. That's just the way these things go. Sometimes, uh, you know, the storm comes and it, and it rains and it washes away the filth. And then sometimes it just floods the entire earth. So who knows? You know, who knows? Nothing to, nothing to get too alarmed about unless you don't like fascism. And I don't know why you wouldn't. It's one of the more enduring political philosophies. It's got to have something going for it. Well, we know what a strong man is like. You know, a strong man can, uh, can come around, blow into town, shake things up, make everybody miserable for their own ends. And, uh, you know, that leader himself might be miserable, might just be a miserable sod whether you're talking about the former president or you're talking about our friend Heathcliff, who certainly shares some characteristics and qualities with traditional authoritarian figures. He is driven by an obsessive, narcissistic need for X. In, in, in certain people's cases, it's for approval or acceptance. In Heathcliff's case, it's, it's a little bit hard to say exactly what it is. Revenge doesn't seem to quite cut it. And again, this goes back to my question of the previous episode. Does the character of Heathcliff work through a modern lens, let's say? Or for any, no, no, fuck that, through any lens. Does he work as a character? Because he falls a little bit short of believable to me. There is, he, you know, he's, he's almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Luciferian, in a way. Except that Lucifer always seems to derive some glee from his machinations. And Heathcliff derives no glee, no joy, no satisfaction from anything he does, except, you know, perhaps the grimmest kind of satisfaction. It is the satisfaction of perhaps Frankenstein's creature strangling those dear to Frankenstein. But the creature works, Big Buddy works, because he is not confined to human rules. Although, He's certainly a lot more human than Heathcliff. You know, he's he's certainly a lot. He's got a lot more pathos to him, and and uh, he's a lot more expressive. And we understand him better. We understand his desire for revenge. We understand that he, if he cannot have, he must destroy. It's it's not quite so clear cut with Heathcliff. Not nearly so clear cut. Well, when last we spent some time with uh, with Heathcliff. He was laying out his 
Machiavellian plot to Mrs. Dean. He's going to marry off the two cousins. He's going to marry off Linton and Miss Kathy, um, and they're going to, together, they're going to rule over the roosts of Wuthering Heights and Thrushcross Grange, and in that way, apparently, his revenge will be completed. It's a little hazy as to how that's going to satisfy anything other than his heir, the poor ruffian's heir, will now lord over these two manners, and he is determined to have his way with these children. So, you know, Miss Dean has basically said, I, I, you know, this is a bad idea. You're bad news. I don't think Miss Kathy will ever come back. I'm resolved. She shall never approach your house with me again. I returned as we reached the gate where Miss Kathy waited our coming. So she's about to enter Wuthering Heights, and she's about to reacquaint herself with her cousin Linton. So let us pick it up, chapter 20 of Wuthering Heights. Heathcliff bid me be quiet, and proceeding us up the path, hastened to open the door. My young lady gave him several looks, as if she could not exactly make up her mind what to think of him. But now he smiled when he met her eye, and softened his voice in addressing her, and I was foolish enough to imagine the memory of her mother might disarm him from desiring her injury. Well, yes, that is foolish, um, because he desires everybody injury, including her mother. Let's not mistake Let's not mistake his intentions with Catherine Sr. He wanted to eat her alive and consume her so that they could be joined. I mean, I'm, I'm extrapolating. She would have just as happily have consumed, as, uh, consumed him alive. You know, they're just, they're, you know, they're just bad news, the two of them. Anyway, Linton stood on the hearth. He'd been out walking in the fields, for his cap was on, and he was calling to Joseph to bring him dry shoes. He'd grown tall of his age, still wanting some months of sixteen. His features were pretty yet, and his eyes and complexion brighter than I remembered them, though with merely temporary luster borrowed from the salubrious air and genial sun. Now who is that? asked Mr. Heathcliff, turning to Cathy. Can you tell? Your son, she said, having dutifully surveyed first one and then the other. Yes, yes, answered he, but is this the only time you have beheld him think? Ah, you have a short memory. Linton, don't you recall your cousin, that you used to tease us so with wishing to see? What? Linton, cried Cathy, kindling into joyful surprise at the name. Is that little Linton? He's taller than I am, are you, Linton? The youth stepped forward and acknowledged himself. She kissed him fervently, and they gazed with wonder at the change time had wrought in the appearance of each. Catherine had reached her full height. Her figure was both plump and slender, elastic as steel, and her whole aspect sparkling with health and spirits. Linton's looks and movements were very languid, and his form extremely slight, but there was a grace in his manner that mitigated these defects, and rendered him not unpleasing. Well, that's a... I'm trying to understand what 
a, a figure both plump and slender. What that means exactly, I'm not quite sure I understand. Does that mean like buzumi? Is she buzumi with a thin, with a with a with a small waist or something? Like what is plump and slender? I don't know, but it's it's a very appealing picture nonetheless. Young, bright-cheeked Miss Kathy, 16 years old at her full height, and young Linton Heathcliff, he the sallow but languid youth, not altogether unpleasing in his appearance. Well, you could see how these two might form a mutual attraction. But then but then somehow you've got to deal with Hareton. Hareton glowering in the corner somewhere. And we know that is going to be trouble. After exchanging numerous marks of fondness with him, his cousin went to Mr. Heathcliff, who lingered by the door, dividing his attention between the objects inside and those that lay without, pretending, that is, to observe the latter, and really noting the former alone. "'And you are my uncle, then?' she cried, reaching up to salute him. "'I thought I liked you, though you were cross at first. "'Why don't you visit at the Grange with Linton, "'to live all these years such close neighbors, and never see us, is odd. "'What have you done so for?' "'I visited it once or twice too often before you were born,' he answered. "'There, damn it. "'If you have any kisses to spare, give them to Linton. "'They are thrown away on me.' "'He's not even trying.' He's not even trying. Look, Heathcliff, if you're going to be the duplicitous so-and-so that we know you to be, you've got to be duplicitous. Take the kisses, you know what I mean? Smile your, your Cheshire cat smile and just wait to gobble up the youths until they're in your enchantment. But don't just, you know... Give them to Link, give the kisses to Linton, they're wasted on me, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, buck up, dude. If you want your evil plan to succeed, you've got to be a little bit charming. You've got to give a little to get a little. Why do, why do, why, why, why do I have to tell these evil geniuses how to behave? Evil genius, you, you got to know how to play the game, kid. You can't just come in here snarling and barking and showing your fangs. You gotta show a little leg every once in a while, you know? It's just, it's just very disappointing when an evil genius doesn't know how to be an evil genius. Naughty Ellen, exclaimed Catherine, flying to attack me next with her lavish caresses. Wicked Ellen, to try to hinder me from entering. But I'll take this walk every morning in future. May I, uncle? And sometimes bring papa? Won't you be glad to see us? Of course, replied the uncle with a hardly suppressed grimace. Now see, that's what I'm saying. Of course. that's You turn on the charm, kid. That's all it takes. Wave a little hanky, you know? Shake the shoulders a little bit. Do a do it. Just do a little dance. Do the flamenco. Make them want it. Of course, replied the uncle with a hardly suppressed grimace, resulting from his deep aversion to both the proposed visitors. But stay, he continued, turning towards the lady. Now I think of it, I'd better tell you. Mr. Linton has a prejudice against me. We quarreled at one time of our lives with unchristian ferocity. And if you mention coming here to him, he'll put a veto on your visits altogether. Therefore, you must not mention it, unless you be careless of seeing your cousin hereafter. You may come if you will, but you must not mention it. 
Why did you quarrel? asked Catherine, considerably crestfallen. He thought me too poor to wed his sister, answered Heathcliff, and was grieved that I got her. His pride was hurt, and he'll never forgive it. That's wrong, said the young lady. Some time I'll tell him so, but Linton and I have no share in your quarrel. I'll not come here then. He shall come to the Grange. It will be too far for me, murmured her cousin. To walk four miles would kill me. No, come here, Miss Catherine, now and then. Not every morning, but once or twice a week. Four miles would kill me. <laughs> well, that's a red flag right there, Miss Cathy. Not, not that, look, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. We all have our deficiencies. But here is this lad of 16 or so. And uh, he's saying the walk of four miles will kill him? I suspect he's, uh, you know, he's just, he's, he's not for you, Miss Kathy. He just isn't. He may be your cousin, but uh, look, the kids, the kids got problems. And uh, you can't, you can't fix them. That's the thing. You try to tell these, these, these women, hey, you can't fix the men. The men got to fix themselves. And this is going to be a real problem for you, sister. This this poor cousin of yours with, ter- with a terrible constitution, he can't even walk down to the Grange. My goodness. And here you're expected to wed him and birth his babies. Now, I know you're not thinking that, but Heathcliff is. And he's going to do everything in his power to bring you kids together. And uh, I'm just telling you, it's trouble. It's trouble with a capital T. And that rhymes with H, and that stands for Heathcliff. Now, I know we've we've done the Music Man thing before, but I will say it again. Conan O'Brien should not play Harold Hill. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a moment here on Obscure. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Back in obscure, trying to trying to 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 rid young Kathy uh, uh, of all these foolish fancies she's getting herself worked up into, you know. And can you blame her? I mean, look, she's she's been sequestered there at the Grange for all of her 16 years, never allowed to go to town, never allowed to go anywhere, do anything. She knows she's got a cousin somewhere. She, somewhere she finally meets him. Well, of course she's going to be charmed and enchanted. It's a whole new world for her. She finds an uncle she didn't know she had, you know? It's a, it's a whole thing there. And uh, yeah, no wonder, you know, she's going she's gonna to be excited about it. But, you know, she's got this other cousin too, Herdon. Aaron's also her cousin, but she doesn't seem to sh- show the same enthusiasm for him. Um, so, Linton says, it will be too far for me. No, come here, Miss Catherine, now and then, not every morning, but once or twice a week. 
I'm exhausted just speaking. The father launched towards his son a glance of bitter contempt. I am afraid, Nelly, I shall lose my labor, he muttered to me. Miss Catherine, as the ninny calls her, will discover his value and send him to the devil. Now if it had been Herdon, do you know that twenty times a day I covet Herdon with all his degradation? I'd have loved the lad had he been someone else. But I think he's safe from her love. I'll pit him against that paltry creature until it bestir itself briskly. We calculate... Wait, okay, hold on. I'm a little bit lost here. Okay, so he's saying, as I just said, well, Herdon, you know, he, she could probably fall in love with Herdon despite his degradation. Twenty times a day he covets Herdon. He'd have loved the lad had he been someone else. But of course he's not. He's the son of Hindley Earnshaw. But I think he's safe from her love. I'll pit him against that paltry creature, unless it bestir itself briskly. Unless what bestirs itself briskly? We calculate it will scarcely last till it is 18. Are you you saying you think Linton's going to die before he's 18? Is that what you're saying? We calculate it will scarcely last till it is 18. Oh, confound the vapid thing. He's absorbed in drying his feet and never looks at her. Linton! Yes, father? (sighs) Answered the boy. Have you nothing to show your cousin? Anywhere about? Not even a rabbit or a weasel's nest? Take her into the garden before you change your shoes and into the stable to see your horse. Wouldn't you rather sit here? (laughs) Linton's ridiculous. Asked Linton, addressing Cathy in a tone which expressed reluctance to move again. I don't know, she replied, casting a longing look to the door and evidently eager to be active. He kept his seat and shrank closer to the fire. Heathcliff rose and went into the kitchen, and from thence to the yard, calling out for Herdon. Herdon responded, and presently the two re-entered. The young man had been washing himself, as was visible by the glow on his cheeks and his wetted hair. "'Oh, I'll ask you, Uncle,' cried Miss Cathy, recollecting the housekeeper's assertion. "'That is not my cousin, is he?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'Your mother's nephew, don't you like him?' Catherine looked queer. Is he not a handsome lad? He continued. The uncivil little thing stood on tiptoe and whispered a sentence in Heathcliff's ear. He laughed. Hareton darkened. I perceived he was very sensitive to suspected slights and had obviously a dim notion of his, in- of his inferiority. But his master or guardian chased the frown by exclaiming, You'll be the favorite among us, Hareton. She says you are a, what is it? Well, something very flattering. Here, you go with her round the farm and behave like a gentleman, mind. Don't use any bad words and don't stare when the young lady is not looking at you. And be ready to hide your face when she is. And when you speak, say your words slowly and keep your hands out of your pockets. Be off and entertain her as nicely as you can. He watched the couple walking past the window. Earnshaw had his countenance completely averted from his companion. He seemed studying the familiar landscape with a stranger's and an artist's interests. Interest. Catherine took a sly look at him, expressing a small admiration. 
She then turned her attention to seeking out objects of amusement for herself, and tripped merrily on, lilting a tune to supply the lack of conversation. I've tied his tongue, observed Heathcliff. He'll not venture a single syllable all the time. Nelly, you recollect me at his age. Nay, some years younger. Did I ever look so stupid, so gauntless, as Joseph calls it? Worse, I replied, because more sullen with it. I've a pleasure in him. He continued, reflecting aloud. He has satisfied my expectations. If he were a born fool, I should not enjoy it half so much, but he's no fool. And I can sympathize with all his feelings, having felt them myself. I know what he suffers now, for instance. Exactly. It is merely of a, be a beginning of what he shall suffer, though. And he'll never be able to emerge from his bathos of coarseness and ignorance. I've got him faster than his scoundrel of a father secured me, and lower, for he takes a pride in his brutishness. I've taught him to scorn everything extra animal is silly and weak. Don't you think Hindley would be proud of his son if he could see him? Almost as proud as I am of mine. Now he's being sarcastic there, don't, don't you understand? He's being sarcastic he's, because he's not proud of his son, and Hindley wouldn't be proud of Hareton because Hareton is now a brute because... Oh, I'm exhausted. Ah, but there's the difference. One is gold put to the use of paving stones, and the other is tin polished to ape a service of silver. Mine has nothing valuable about it, yet I shall have the merit of making it go as far as such poor stuff, stuff can go. His had first-rate qualities, and they are lost, rendered worse than unavailing. I have nothing to regret. He would have more than any, but I... But I are aware. What? What? More than any... Oh, I see. I have nothing to regret. He would have more than any but I are aware of. And the best of it is, Hareton is damnably fond of me. You'll own that I outmatched Hindley there. If the dead villain could rise from his grave to abuse me for his offspring's wrongs, I should have the fun of seeing the said offspring fight him back again, indignant, that he should dare to rail at the one friend he has in the world. Heathcliff chuckled a fiendish laugh at the idea. I made no reply, because I saw that he expected none. I mean, it is strange, I think, that he confides so much in Nellie, and that Nellie does such a poor job of communicating to those in her charge the fiendishness of Heathcliff. It seems to me that Miss Nellie Dean had only to uh, relay verbatim, verbat, verbatim, not verboten, verbatim to young Miss Kathy exactly what Heathcliff has just told her, and his best laid plans would be laid to rest. I mean, would, would be dashed. I mean, be, be, because nobody wants to, to feel as though they are the pawn of another. And she has no allegiance to Heathcliff. There's no reason she should be keeping his secrets. There's no reason Heathcliff should think she would keep his secrets. And there's no reason why she shouldn't, Miss, Miss Dina, why she shouldn't tell both young Kathy and her father all of it. Just lay it all out there. I mean, she's telling this stranger. She's telling Lockwood. She can't keep her mouth shut once you get it going. So why is she, why is she why is she so circumspect? Now, doesn't make any sense to me. 
This seems to be a big problem, I think, with, this, with the story. You can understand, perhaps, why she was trying to make the peace between Edgar and Heathcliff. Like, she was trying to keep them apart. She was trying to, you know, satisfy her devotion to Kathy Sr. by keeping Edgar in the dark about Heathcliff visiting, yada, yada, yada. But now she's got a child in her care, Miss Kathy, who she has raised. And she's been made aware of Heathcliff's plans to marry her off to her cousin, and so why wouldn't she just say, why wouldn't she just spill the beans about everything? I mean, maybe she will, I don't know. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But it, but I do like, I do like this revelation of his feelings towards Hareton, his admiration for Hareton and his qualities, and his admiration for his own work in destroying the best of Hareton. I've taught him to scorn everything extra animal is silly and weak. One is gold, put to the use of paving stones, and the other is tin, polished to ape a service of silver. I mean, that's well put. Gold, put to the use of paving stones. I like that very much, Miss Emily Bronte. Very much indeed. But of course, great things uh, can come if we use gold as paving stones. Look at what happened to Dorothy and her friends. They all got what they wanted in the end, did they not? I'm just saying, don't knock paving stones. They could lead you to pretty great places. Meantime, our young companion, who sat too removed from us to hear what was said, began to invent symptoms of uneasiness, probably repenting that he had denied himself the treat of Catherine's society for fear of a little fatigue. His father remarked the restless glances wandering to the window, and the hand (laughs) irresolutely extended toward his cap. Get up, you idle boy, he exclaimed with assumed hardiness. Oh, with assumed hardiness. Get up, you idle boy, he exclaimed with assumed hardiness. Away after them. They're just at the corner by the stand of hives. Linton gathered his energies and left the hearth. The lattice was open, and as he stepped out, I heard Kathy inquiring of her unsociable attendant, What was that inscription over the door? Hareton stared up and scratched his head like a true clown. It's some damnable writing. He answered, I cannot read it. Can't read it? cried Catherine. I can read it. It's English. But I want to know why it is there. Linton giggled. The first appearance of mirth he had exhibited. He does not know his letters. He said to his cousin, Could you believe in the existence of such a colossal dunce? "'Is he all of us? Is he all as he should be?' asked Miss Cathy seriously. "'Or is he simple? Not right. I've questioned him twice now, and each time he looks so stupid. I think he does not understand me. I can hardly understand him, I'm sure.' Lynchin repeated his laugh and glanced at Hareton tauntingly, who certainly did not seem quite clear of comprehension at that moment. "'There's nothing the matter but laziness, is there, Earnshaw?' he said." My cousin fancies you are an idiot. There you experience the consequences of scorning book learning, as you would say. Have you noticed, Catherine, his frightful Yorkshire pronunciation? Why, where the devil is the use on? <laughs> he, he talks like uh, Joseph, I guess. And uh, look, look, I'm not, not going to do it to Hareton. I'm not going to put that on him. Surprised Joseph didn't teach him to read unless he was expressly forbade, and chances are that's what happened. Why, where the devil is the use on? growled Hareton. More ready in answering his daily companion, he was about to enlarge further, 
but the two youngsters broke into a noisy fit of merriment, my giddy miss being delighted to discover that she might turn his strange talk to matter of amusement. "'Where is the use of the devil in that sentence?' tittered Linton. "'Papa told you not to say any bad words, and you can't open your mouth without one. Do try to behave like a gentleman. Now do.' If thou weren't more last than lad, I'd fell thee this minute, I would. Pitiful laugh of a crater, retorted the angry boar, retreating, while his face burnt with mingled rage and mortification, for he was conscious of being insulted and embarrassed how to resent it. Ah, <sighs> my. Well, Heathcliff, you really are a devil. You are a devil, what you've done to these children, my goodness, my gosh, gee willikers, you're just horrible. And uh, at this point, I think, unless she just tells Kathy everything, we've we've got to say that she's complicit in it, Mrs. Dean is, because... Because the you know because she she's she's helping him with his machinations. If she doesn't put it on, put a put a stop to him. That's just that's just simple mathematics, is what that is. So we'll end there, and uh, you know I got you know I, I don't know I don't know. We're on the precipice of something, both in the elections and in this terrible terrible threesome that is emerging. Somebody's going to kill somebody, no doubt, and we shall be happy when it happens. But. We'll leave it for now. We'll pick it up on another propulsive episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners for support so please go to patreon.com slash michael ian black sign up there's all kinds of fun stuff there's goodies you could join the book club where we get together we talk about the book that we're reading uh and it's just a fun community so you know head on over to patreon.com slash michael ian black and i will see you next time